So this Easter month, we've been, we've been attempting to study the events around the last week of Jesus' life, everything he did to, to demonstrate to us how life was to be lived, everything that he accomplished for us in order that we could live victoriously, that we could appropriate the power of his presence that is there in our inner man. And we've called this series, What Happened? What happened when he walked on this earth? What happened when he got on the cross? What happened when he was resurrected from the dead? What happened when he ascended? And if you don't understand what happened, or if somehow or another that is twisted in your mind and you don't have all the facts, it will greatly diminish your capacity to live life effectively. And I can't go back and review everything. Go buy a CD. Don't be cheap. Just pay $5 and buy a CD. Go to your web, go to the website, get it for free if you want to get it that way, and you can catch up. But our problem is, is that you and I have lived under either falsehoods or we've not lived with the whole revelation of what it is that Christ has accomplished. And because of that, it has impeded our ability to be victorious in life. We're living and saying we're Christians. We're living and saying God is in us. We're living and saying I've accepted Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's inside of me. We're saying that, but we're not living much differently than the guy down the road who doesn't know him, is just crazy and dysfunctional as can be, and, he, and why would he want what we've got? It's because somehow or another this has gotten twisted. We've got bumper stickers now that make us feel better. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Well, okay, we acknowledge that, but we've got to get past just the doctrine of forgiveness. We've got to press into the doctrine of victory, the doctrine of overcoming, the doctrine of triumph. And we are, once we understand exactly what Jesus accomplished. And so today, we're going to talk about what happened those three days and three nights Jesus was in the grave. I don't know that I've ever preached on this before. I don't know that I've even heard a message on those three days and three nights Jesus was in the grave. You just don't hear much about what was going on those three days. You know, we get to the triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday, and so we'll hear a lot about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. And then next Sunday, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. Every now and then, a midweek service, we'll catch the cross in there. But you don't hear much about those three days and three nights that Jesus spent in the grave. I've often asked myself, what was going on? Was it just sort of like this divine timeout? I mean, God just called time in the universe for, you know, three days. What was going on? I mean, to be candid, there was a lot going on. And if we skip it and don't get it, then, it, then it's not going to help you understand what it is that Christ has provided for you. Have you ever asked someone, let's say at work, how they've been? You know, you're just kind of visiting with a coworker. You say, how's it been going? Maybe even know that their life's kind of been in some upheaval. You say, hey, how's it going? And they look at you and they respond, man, I've been through hell. Has anybody ever said that? I mean, I, I, you know, even as a pastor, I'll hear people go, pastor, I've been through hell. I, I've heard this phrase as well. I've been to hell and back. Well, I just want to share something with you. Jesus literally did go to hell and back. He did exactly that. And if you have ever felt like you've been to hell and back, then I got good news for you. He's been to hell and back as well. And he did that in order that you might understand how to, how to walk in victory in those particular moments. And I'm going to read several verses. Bear with me. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 25. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Acts 2, 25. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's zipping everybody out there in the Jerusalem streets, telling them about the Lord, telling them about what he did and what he accomplished. And this is what Peter says in the midst of his Pentecost sermon. He says, for David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Then he begins to speak about what I'm talking about this morning. He said, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of your joy in your presence. So here in the midst of a Pentecost sermon, he begins to speak about the Lord going down 
to this place called Hades. Uh, turn to the book of Ephesians. I just want to read a couple passages so you don't think I'm pulling this just out of some obscure scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It says this. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10, it says, Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul mentions it as well. And then finally, we're moving along, and then I won't make you move in your Bible, or you can just write down these particular uh, references. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, it says this. First Peter three eighteen and 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19. By whom also he went... And preached to the spirits in prison. What happened those three days and three nights that Jesus was in the grave? Now, we need to clear up just a couple of concepts that you may not have heard before. Before we actually get to the place of talking about what Jesus actually did. And I want to take just a moment to share with you uh, what happens when people die. You know, under the old covenant, when someone passed away, when somebody died, they went to what might best be called a holding tank. Now, it's not purgatory. It's, it's not what some of the modern conceptions have come out with. But, but it was called Hades, H-A-D-E-S. It's literally, that's how it's, it's pronounced in the Greek, Hades. The Hebrew word for the Greek word Hades was Sheol. And so if you were under the old covenant, now this is before Jesus died and was resurrected. If you were under an old covenant and you were to die, you would immediately be sent to Sheol, this holding tank, Hades. And in this holding tank, there were two sections. There was the part of Hades that was called paradise. And then there was the part of Hades that was called torment. And apparently between the two, there was this great gulf that separated the folks who landed on either side. And the reason we know this is because Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, and you can read verse 23 or verse 26. It says there, and this is not a parable, this was a real story, that these two people passed away. One died righteously, one died unrighteously. The righteous one went to paradise, the unrighteous one went to torment. A great gulf sat in between those two places in that one compartment. And the story talks about the rich man looking across the gulf and desiring certain things as he saw Lazarus next to Abraham's bosom. And, and so this was what took place before Jesus, the Messiah, actually died and was risen from the dead. But now you can begin to understand when he was hanging on the cross between those two thieves, one cursing him, the other one saying he's done nothing wrong, Lord, remember me uh, when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him, and this is what he said. He said, this day you'll be with me where? In paradise. He didn't say that you'd go with me to heaven. He said, you're going to be with me in paradise, because that was literally where he was going. He was going to this place called Hades, this holding tank, and he was going to spend three days and three nights in this holding tank in order to finish what had been started at the cross. Now, everyone that was under the old covenant, now we're talking primarily Jewish people, but everyone under the old covenant and up to the time of Jesus went to this place and was immediately placed in one of these two compartments. And these people would wait there in this holding tank until the day of the Messiah, the day of the Lord. And when he came, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, when that day came, he would literally go to that place and he even declared of himself that he would lead captivity captive. He would open the doors of the prison houses. And I understand that even today we can use those verses to talk about personal bondages and strongholds and our own, our own personal prisons. And that's a valid interpretation. But you need to understand that he literally went to hell. He literally went to this place in order to preach deliverance in that particular holding tank. 
Because how were they atoned for under an old covenant? Well, most of you know here this morning that under an old covenant, they took the blood of bulls and goats to the high priest. And the high priest would go through the ritual, the Hebrew ritual of sacrificing them and then taking the blood that one day a year on the day of atonement and going into the most holy place, sprinkling it on the mercy seat. You know the imagery of all of that, that God would look from above and he would see the Ten Commandments and the brokenness of the law and how his people did not adhere to the law. But when the priest put the blood on the mercy seat, God would see the blood. And because he saw the blood, he would forgive and he would atone and he would move in the midst of his people. And, and they did that for centuries. And under an old covenant, when you did that, let there be no mistake, in the Jewish mentality, it wasn't that they thought the blood of bulls and goats could merit them anything before God. They were simply using an illustration of a lamb or a bull or a goat or a turtle dove or whatever it was they were bringing. This was their illustration as they handed it to the priest. It was their illustration that I am giving you an animal today, but there would be a day that there would be a perfect lamb sent. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the Messiah, he would come. And so as I give you this animal, I'm, I'm exercising faith forward in the reality that one day, somewhere in the future, God would send perfect blood. God would send atoning blood. God would send the once and for all blood. And, that, and, and so I give you this in order that I might be reminded of the Messiah. And so that is how the whole uh, sacrificial system worked. But you need to understand, this isn't, just, this isn't just an illustrated story. This isn't just some, some parable, some moral, some moral story that, that God's putting before our very eyes so we can see the symbolism. We're talking about Jesus became sin. He became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. This wasn't just a little story or illustration. He literally had to be the sacrifice. He literally had to be judged for his sin. And so he went to this, this place. And uh, when he went to this place, he accomplished some very, very important things. Now, I, I'm going to explain exactly what he accomplished. But let me just, this is a good place to talk just for a moment about afterlife. Afterlife's coming quicker than you think. Now, those of you that have been around me, and some of you have been with me over 10 years now. Some of you, about five years. Some of you, shorter time than that. And if you've been around me that long, and you, you can ask some of the old timers here, how many times Pastor Baird has talked about hell on Sunday morning? I, I mean, I'm not even sure they would say, has he? Now, I'll assure you I have. But, but it's not like I, I spend a lot of time talking about this particular subject. I mean, there are so many incredible, positive things you can talk about. I mean, who wants to talk about hell? I, I mean, if I had a choice about talking about, you know, God doing big things in your life and taking you into your, your, your next season and, and, and blessing us and prospering us, I'd just soon talk about that. Wouldn't you just soon hear it? I'm, I'm sure you would. But, but, you know, we have to teach the whole counsel of God. And so every now and then you got to touch on this concept of hell because Jesus spoke a little bit about it. It's an important thing that we realize there is a hell. Now, just bear with me. I'll only take a moment or two. But Hollywood has messed us up when it comes to hell. I, I mean, it would take several messages just to address all the phony understanding that's out there with regards to this particular place there's just a couple things i want to share before we go on the first one is is that it it is true that god created an underworld of torment i will admit to you he created this underworld this holding tank that had torment in it but you need to understand that he didn't originally have you in mind to go there so anybody that looks at you and says, why would God send anyone to hell? Let's just call time out at that place and simply say it was never God's intent that any of us go there. He doesn't want you in hell. Come on. Come on. Don't you let someone push you in a court and say, why would God send people to hell? Well, God ain't sending anybody to hell. I'll say it again. God's not sending anybody to hell. He's not doing it. It wasn't his intent. It wasn't his desire. But you need to understand that, that, that he had to send a place for sin and rebellion to be judged. And the first rebellion was from Satan and a third of the angels. 
which we now know as demons. And he created this underworld of torment, not for his creation, but he created it for Satan and his angels. And so there it is that God sent this place in order that sin could be judged. And how many of you know, if you're the devil, you probably deserve going to hell. Amen? Amen. Devil hell, that seems to fit. Now, now hear me, this is really important. In fact, start turning to the Gospel of John. There's something really, really important here. John chapter 8. Turn this real quick. and I'm gonna, Because this, we're going to just clear up some bad doctrine here. If you end up in hell, let me tell you this. If you end up in hell, it isn't because God sent you there. If you end up there, it's because you determined that that's where you wanted to be. Now listen to me. God didn't send you there. Because you see, you can't go before God and say, well, you, so, you see, Lord, I've decided that, that this is how I'm going to have a relationship with you. This is how I want things to work out. And I'm just kind of letting you know that I, I think this is how it works. And God's going to look at you and say, who are you? Excuse me, peon. Who are you? Who are you to say to the master of the universe, this is how it works? Now, listen to me. When, when Adam and Eve both sinned and we, we, we caught their genetic DNA spiritually, we all became fallen. That's just orthodox Christian doctrine. Every one of us entered into this world as babies, as fallen creatures. I know you look at a baby and you say, oh, they're pure, they're innocent. And there is an age of culpability, and I can't get into all of those things. But let's just say a normal life, a child grows up, he, he grows and he lives to old age. And, and, and we have to understand from the moment we're born to the moment we end up being an, an, an aged man or an aged woman, we are born fallen. We're born selfish. We're born tied to our senses. We're, 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 we're born alienated from God. We, we weren't born righteous. We were born at distance from God. And the reason being is because we're born in sin. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders. Listen to this now. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he says this. I just, you got to laugh sometimes because if you said this today, people just, they would have a conniption. John 8, 44, he looks at them and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, I read that passage to you because it's important for you to understand that if I could talk to you all individually and ask you, have you ever lied? Everybody in this room has lied sometime in your life. And if you say you haven't, you're lying. We've all lied. It's sad. We've all broken the law. We've all had idols in our heart. We've all looked at a man or a woman and had lust arise in our heart. We've all done that. We've all hated somebody so much that Jesus said you've wanted to kill him. You, now, I'm not saying you'd act on it, but in your mind, you kind of thought about how you could torture him. Come on now. You know I'm talking the truth to you. Now, understand this. Now, I, I, I know it's jolting because what we want to say is, I'm, I'm just being human. No, that's the nature of the enemy. Now, I'm not picking on you. That's all of us. That's his nature in us. The devil's a liar. The devil's a murderer. The devil's lustful. The devil, every, every evil sensory thing you can imagine is from the enemy. And that is created in us. Is it not amazing that you can send your children from the moment they're raised up in your house, the moment they're born, you can homeschool them, you can send them to a Christian church, you, a school, you could send them to church, you can, you can play nothing but James Dobson videos in front of their face, you can only make them watch Christian TV, and they'll still lie to you about taking the cookie does that not ever make you for just a moment go what's the deal i've given you a perfect christian environment and they'll still find a way to lie and they'll still find a way to embellish and they'll still find a way to get in trouble they'll how, how come we never have to teach our kids rebellion they just kind of pick that up somewhere where do they get this stuff well they got it because of their nature you know, I said this morning I wasn't going to yell. I've blown that, haven't I? That's our nature, though. See, that's our nature. Our nature. Everyone say nature. That's our nature in there. And so you understand, when we come into the world, who's our daddy? 
The devil's our dad. His nature's in us. All of us. Not, not one. Now, this is just orthodox Christianity. The Catholics will teach you this. The Episcopalians, the Baptists, they'll all teach you this. They'll tell it to you. They believe it. So something has to happen along the way. Now, you've got to understand, we come in this way, and God sees that. God's in heaven above it. He sees this plight of all these people being born into the earth. And they're all acting now, not only like Adam and Eve, but they're acting like the dude he kicked out of heaven eons ago. And the fact of the matter is, if something doesn't happen to change their scenario, they're going to go with their daddy. When God says, that's not your real daddy, I'll tell you who your daddy is. I'm your daddy. I want you to be with me. I want you to come and spend eternity with me. God's waving his hands at us this morning. And he's saying, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I really don't. But sin has to be addressed. You just can't say, well, I don't think so. I don't care what you think. It's not what you think. It's what he thinks. And so there needed to be a sacrifice that came. God set the system up. He said there needs to be a sacrifice in order to atone for the sin. There needs to be blood in order to pay the wage that the sin has accrued. And there needs to be, there needs to be some, some happenings here in order that I can, I can have a relationship again with my, my family here in the earth. Because I'm a holy God. There is none like me. I'm holy and I, I, I will only dwell in the midst of a holy people. But I know, I know their nature. I know who they are. And something has to happen in order to cause them to be reunited with me. And so he sets this whole thing up. In order that you don't have to go. And that's why we preach good news. Now that's good news, isn't it? Amen. I just look at Please don't go to hell. God isn't going to send you there. Just please don't do it. I, I, I don't want to go. I really, I don't want to go. People often ask me, they say, Pastor, do you believe in all that fire and brimstone stuff? That fire and darkness? Do you think all that's real? And, and you know what? I, you know, I've been to seminary. I've been to a top 20 seminary. I've listened to liberal professors pontificate the Hebrew, the Greek, and all the rest. And I've reached the point where I'm just, I'm just going to simply read the Bible and say, yep, it says it's there, so I'm going to believe it's there. And just as I can't paint heaven beautiful enough, I can't paint hell bad enough. I was given a book recently by someone in the congregation. It was entitled 23 Minutes in Hell by a guy who had a vision of it. I read it. And uh, he, uh, he certainly uh, put scripture in, and, and I have nothing to quibble with that particular book. But I'm telling you, if even half of what he says is right, you don't want to go there. And, and you know, I think the reason for all the smoke and the fire and the darkness and the screaming and the torment and all the things that we associate with hell is because of this. Listen to this. I, I believe that we live our lives, if we don't live it, in communion and attachment to our God. I believe our whole life will be lived selfishly. I believe the carnal man is, is, is the natural man tied to his senses. We want our senses to be appeased. We want our senses, you know, to be, to be heightened and strengthened and enlightened. We like the sense. We like the, we like the sense we get when we sin. Sin's pleasurable. And so our senses, you know, our senses are dominant and they're important. And so I honestly believe, this is what I believe, is that God finally says this. He says, well, you've wanted this sensory experience all your life, so I guess it won't bother you all that much if you just go to a place where you're in utter darkness and utter aloneness because you were selfish and you wanted it your way, so you get to be with you the rest of eternity. And I will give you a sensory experience that will make Disney World look like the Bush League. You want your senses to be touched? There'll be a place, if you don't know Jesus, that your senses will be touched. You wanted it your way, he will give it to you your way. Take it. But this is the good news. The good news is this. Jesus went to hell and back. That's good news. I know we live in an era where people say, don't talk about that. You're alienate people. I don't want them alienated for an eternity. I mean, I may alienate you today, but it's better today than all eternity. And Jesus went to this place called Sheol, this holding tank, Hades. Now remember, I've already told you, he became sin. And once he became sin, he had to face everything we could possibly face. In order to be the perfect sacrifice, he had to to experience all that we could potentially experience. 
And this three-day trip was essential in order for us to receive what we were purposed to receive as sons and daughters of God. So what happened those three days? I'm going to give you three things real fast here. You can write them down. Number one, what happened those three days was this. Sin had to be judged and a ransom had to be paid. Jesus, I'll say it again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says he was made to be sin. Jesus was not figuratively made to be sin. He was not made to be sin as an illustration. But literally, according to Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says he was literally disfigured because he became sin. Disease, listen to me right now. Think about what sin does to a person's life. Have you ever looked at a person who may be 30, 40, even 50 years old, but they've lived a hard life? Have you ever looked into the eyes of someone that looks hard and you see the, the incredible wrinkles and the leather look? And, and, and you know they've just lived a really hard, hard life because sin has taken its toll on them. And the Bible says that, that he became sin. I believe that that leather look, the burden of sin, I believe that the, the repercussions and the ramifications of sin literally were laid upon him to where he, he, he physically began to change. I believe that disease was cast upon him and he began to, began to manifest even disease and sickness. And can you imagine a person at one moment becoming every disease known to man? He became the Bible said unrecognizable. Isaiah said this, that we would look upon him and we would not want him. I'm always reminded when I think of that, that, that sin isn't cute anymore. It's not funny. It's not something everybody does. It, 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 it literally disfigured Jesus. And in Romans 6.23, it said that, that the wages of sin is death. And so there was a debt that was attached to the sin that had to be paid. And so we often speak of the word ransom. And so in order to ransom you, Jesus knew who your father was. He understood that you were under bondage. He understood that you were a slave to sin. And in order to ransom you out from the terrorist, he had to endure the judgment of sin. He endured a real judgment. Sin is real. And if you refuse to let him deal with it, you are left to deal with it. That's why if we don't accept his sacrifice, we end up paying the debt. But he said, I died that you might not have to die. There can be no true substitution unless he satisfies and pays the penalty for the sin. Now, that's the first thing that happened those three days and nights. He paid the penalty. He ransomed us. Sin was judged. Number two. He then demonstrated dominion over Satan and his demons. Now, I want you to picture this with me for just a moment. Jesus descends, the Bible says, into the lower parts of the earth. As he goes in there, he literally has become sin for us. All of a sudden, you see the, the choir of demons. You see the head choir leader there, Satan himself, looking at the very Son of God in his own abode. And can you imagine the cackling? Can you imagine the laughing and the mocking and thinking as they see the Son of God in the abode for the dead? Can you see how their, their impish glee and their dancing and saying, we've won, we've won, we've won. But all of a sudden, the Bible says, according to Colossians 2.15, it says, having put off from himself, I like that phrase. There they are grabbing him and pulling on him and, and mocking him and making fun of him. It says, the Bible says that having putting them off, there was a moment there in the bowels of the earth that Jesus suddenly begins to shake off all these devils. And he begins to shake off all these imps. And Colossians 2.15 says he disarms principalities and powers and begins to make a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. It says in Luke 11, verses 21 through 22, we read this oftentimes and don't really get it, but the Bible says, Jesus himself says that there was coming a day that he would go to the strong man's house. And as he went to the strong man's house, he would enter in and bind the strong man and he would plunder his house. And Jesus in those three days went to the strong man's house and he literally plundered his abode. He literally took back, bought back everything that had been stolen by the enemy himself. He exercised dominion in Satan's own abode. 
he exercises, he begins to exercise dominion. That's why Paul said in Colossians, all things are under his feet, whether in heaven or in the earth or under the earth. All things are under his feet. He is the head of all. There is nothing bigger or greater than our God. And he went to the very bowels of hell and said, here I am, make my day. I think an anointing is starting to show up. Now do you understand why he looks at us and he says, if you get a revelation, when he asked Peter and his, and all of his disciples were walking along and he said, who do men say that I am? And everybody said, well, some think you're Elijah. You know, some think you're a hotshot prophet. He says, who do, who do you think that I am? And Peter says it right away. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he says, and upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you understand now why the gates of hell cannot prevail against us? That doesn't mean we won't be in a battle or two. But I'm here to tell you the end is fixed. This is a fixed battle. The gates cannot prevail over us. Why? Because he went to hell itself and he tore down the gates. He demonstrated dominion over Satan and his demons. And then finally, number three, he recovered everything that had been stolen from Adam and the seed. He, he recovered it all. Turn to the book of Revelation. Some of these verses you just need to underline in your Bible and go back and read when you're in the middle of a fight sometime. And be reminded, Revelation 1.18 says this, it says, I am he, Jesus is speaking, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys. I have the keys of Hades. That holding tank, that old holding tank. I've got the keys, he says, to the holding tank. I've got the keys to death. Jesus literally took the keys of the underworld. And you need to understand that originally Adam had those keys. Adam was never designed to taste death. Adam was never designed to not know total absolute victory. Adam was given absolute dominion in the earth. He was never meant to know the struggle of a bad relationship. He was never meant to understand what, what it would be like to be alienated from other people. He didn't know what sickness was going to be like. He didn't know what disease would feel like. He wasn't created for that. He wasn't even created to die. Hell wasn't an issue to Adam originally because he was just going to live in God's presence forever. But when Satan came along and hijacked them, in disobedience, he literally took the keys of that dominion out of Adam's hand. And he began to hold the keys of death and had the keys of hell. And God said, that's no good. That can't remain that way. And so he sent his son, the second Adam, and he said, it's time to go get the keys back. And the keys are representative of authority. The keys represent access. The keys represent the ability to unlock something. And you know, you can have the greatest of doors, you can have a giant vault, you can, have, you can have a door of a safe be several feet thick, and it can be impenetrable. But you get the right key, and it doesn't matter how big the door is, one little key can unlock a giant door. And I don't care how big a door is in front of you right now. I don't care how big the enemy looks or what your circumstance looks like. It doesn't matter anymore. He has the key. A large door can be opened by a little key. A vault is only as safe as its key. The nice car you own won't get you anywhere unless you have the key. Jesus has the keys. And this is the mind-boggling thing of the whole deal. He wants to give you the keys. That's why he went on to say when he was visiting with Peter and his disciples after he said the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Go read it in Matthew chapter 16, the very next verse. He says this, and behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. 
That whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound and whatsoever you loose shall be loose. Folks, keys, keys. He went to get all that back for us. Now, hear me. We hadn't even got to the resurrection yet. If it just all stopped there, I thought it was pretty good just watching his earthly life. When I was preaching about the cross the next Sunday, I thought that's pretty good just hearing about the cross. And now we're just hanging around with him in hell. And how many of you know or ever thought that you could go to hell with the pastor and it could bless you? But that's exactly what Jesus did. If we just stopped at this point, and we've not even got to the resurrection yet, mercy, wear, wear, wear slip-on shoes. You're going to shout your shoes off next Sunday. I, I, he, he will come and burst out of the grave. And you, you can't conceive what that means. But you need to just today get a hold of the fact that he went to hell and back victorious so that you can go to hell. Now, I'm not talking the literal one, but just your circumstance. You can go to hell and back and you can win. You say, Pastor, you don't know where I'm at today. I'm living, I'm living in hell. You preaching on hell doesn't scare me because I'm living in hell. Well, let me just share with you this, that Jesus can keep you out of the eternal one and he can take you out of the temporal one. If you'll just give yourself to him, he became sin that he could give you his righteousness so that what he did, you could do. Greater works than these shall you do, he says, because I go to the Father. Come on, you're depleted. You're frustrated. You're saying to yourself, I don't know if I can take anymore. It seems as if the enemy's laughing at me. His, his demons and imps are giggling at me. Let me just say this. Jesus understands exactly what that feels like. He's already lived that week for you. And it's time you let him have your week and take upon him his victory. Why do you think he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's because he switched with you in order that you could win in him. The Holy Spirit is wanting you to get a revelation of what reality is in him. Are you starting to get this? I mean, I mean, in him, he took away my junk and now I get all the good stuff. Now, let me just tell you the greatest signs of this. The number one sign is. Is being born again and being transformed. That when this switch takes place, when you, when you make this switch, you're transformed. The Bible says you're, you're literally born again. You're born differently. You're not born like you were the first time because who was your father when you were born the first time? Your father was the, the devil. But when you're born that second time, who's your daddy? Yes, the Lord is your daddy. That's why we must be born again. That's why we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. My, the nature of my father, the enemy, all that old, junky, cruddy, silly, sensual, carnal, fleshly, old things gone. Everything's new. But we live in an era that looks at you and says, well, things aren't going to change much. You signed the card, raised your hand, prayed the prayer, and you're forgiven. So just live like everyone else. Uh-uh, not me anymore. We've been sold a bill of goods, and I'm telling you, it's not right. There is a victory that's been given to us. We now are no longer children of the enemy or children of wrath. But you and I, because we've embraced his sacrifice, have become sons and daughters of God. We have the right we have the right in Him to function with that authority and dominion that He has. And that's what the enemy's trying to hide from you. He's trying to tell you everybody faces what you face. Everybody, don't you? Go look. You can go to any church in America and you just look around and He'll make sure you find it. I mean, you'll see people who just struggle, 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 struggle. Well, I guess that's just our lot in life. No, it's not. No, it's not. God's raising up people. He's raising up ministries that are going to fly in the face of that and say there is a victory that is yet to be apprehended by the people of God. All of creation is groaning. It is groaning with great anticipation. Paul said in Romans 8 and 16, for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. 
This world wants to see you and me function in our divine rights. They want to see a people who can look at them and say, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to go that direction. You can know and experience something different, but they don't want what we don't got. Judgment starts at the house of God, but the good news is mercy can start there too. Grace can start there too, and it can transform you and me. So that we can look at a world and say, you know what, spit on me, laugh at me, curse me, yank me through a knothole backwards. It doesn't matter. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the real deal. I'm the real deal. In him. In him. I mean, I've got this ticker tape going on inside of me right now. It's just... I, just, just close your eyes for a minute and, and say, Lord, give me a revelation of this. If you're saying, well, yeah, I know all this. I learned this three decades ago. And, and it hadn't helped you, then you hadn't got a revelation of it yet. You got the information of it, but now I want you to get the revelation of it. You know how backwards we are? I... I can remember one time being at a prayer meeting. People were gathered around. We were praying for someone that had a problem. I don't know. It might have been a sickness. It might have been some other issue. And they're all laying hands. And, and it just dawned on me at that particular moment just how really silly and dumb we are at times. And everybody's praying. And as everybody's praying, I'm listening to everybody pray. Well, Lord, we don't really know what you're up to. We don't, don't want to tell you what to do. You know, we'll just rest in your will. And, 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 and they're, just, they're just mealy-mouthing around who God is. And then they ended with this. This is what was funny to me. Oh, but God, give them peace. Give them joy. And I remember I walked away thinking this. If God, if God won't heal you and deliver you and give you victory in your circumstances like it says he will do in his word, then why in the world do you think that he would want you to be in peace and joy? Why do you pray for peace? Maybe it's not God's will for you to be in peace. Why would you pray for joy? Maybe it's not God's will for you to be in joy. Do you realize how stupid that sounds? And, and yet we have people walking around all the time going, I'm just not sure it's God's will to heal. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just reading the book. Have we ever just tried standing there for a while? I don't think it's God's will that everybody get delivered. Well, Really? Then, then you might as well stand up and say you don't believe it's God's will for him to send you peace. It's not God's will for you to send you joy. It's not God's will to send you salvation because maybe, maybe that's just how it works. Maybe, maybe you aren't, maybe, maybe he just decides every now and then he wants to save somebody and everybody else is just hanging out there. Are, are you hearing how dumb some things we land on that we got to break out of? We've got to start believing, anticipating, expecting what he says. Now, I, this isn't what I say. It's what he says. If it says by his stripes we were healed, then don't you think that that just about settles it? But we've not stood long enough in a revelation to begin to see that manifestation come to pass. If it says that, it, that, 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 that he was chastised for my peace, then I believe he's got peace for me. If I believe that he gives me joy unspeakable and full of glory, I believe his joy is for me. I believe it's all for me. He did this in order that I could demonstrate a quality of life distinguishably different than the folks whose father is the enemy. And you may say right now, well, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know that I've accepted Jesus. You telling me I'm of the devil? I'm not telling you that. Jesus told you that. Someone's got to tell you that, though. Larry King heard that. You're right. And everybody goes on Larry King and they hem haw around. I'm waiting for someone to get on Larry King once and look Larry King in the eye and say this. Yes, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am it. I'm it. And let the phones go nuts. Because we're, we're dancing and dodging with the world that's dying. They're dying in their sickness and their disease and their sin and their dysfunctionality while we're dancing with them. Oh, but we got them in a seat, but you haven't set them free. We have got to set the captive free. Jesus set captives free. So it starts with declaring it. And then it begins to manifest. Amen.
How many of you today really want to be free? I mean, I, I want to be free. I'm raising my hand. You say, you aren't free? You know what? Not the level of freedom I know that's available. Are you in victory? Not the level of victory I know that's available. I'm pressing in on this thing until, until I can write maybe a new verse. I mean, I realize someone will probably write me an email on this one. But, but the Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not. I'm, I'm just, I want to press to the place where it can say, Kevin walked with God and he was not. How about a generation walked with God and they were not? We'll just call it the rapture. How about that? Amen. And by God's grace, your ears are here to be some of the first to embrace that. Next week's the resurrection. Do you get, I mean, could it get any better? Could it really? You have not even begun to imagine the resurrection. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's what Paul said, is in you. Hey, that's a cool Easter right there. Let's stand, shall we? Holy Spirit, you are faithful in our midst today. Guys, don't turn any music on yet. Don't turn any music on yet. Holy Spirit, we want you right now just to be acknowledged and honored in the ministry that you have amongst us. And Lord, you know me, you know in the midst of you coming and enlivening and anointing and all the rest, Lord, I'll say anything and I've done it for years. But Lord, I pray right now, more than just giving me a boldness to declare, would you right now, Holy Spirit, work in the lives of people and give them the boldness to embrace. The boldness to shake off traditions and and, and religious notions, Lord, that have absolutely zero to do with a relationship with you. Lord, we live in a society, America, I'm sure, but our culture here locally, Lord, we're religious, but there is no, there is no real demonstration of sons and daughters. And Lord, I'm praying for that. I'm not judging. I, who am I to judge? Your word says, judge not lest you be judged, but by the same measure ye meet, it shall be judged. So Lord, I know this, I'm under the same standard that I declared. And I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I, I, I want to manifest a dimension of life, Lord, that, that will meet the need of a groaning creation. And Lord, I pray this morning right now, Lord, for every man, for every woman, for every young person that's in this room, that's under, Lord, the hearing of my voice right now, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to stir in their heart. That they would, that they would embrace you fully. Lord, I'm not asking people... To make you a part of their life. Lord, you don't want a part. You want it, the whole deal. And Lord, we, we, we should want to give you everything there is. Everything we knowingly could give you. We give it to you in order that you can give us all of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have about two, two, at least two altar calls here. So, so bear with me just for a moment. Everybody, if you can hang tough, I promise I, I won't abuse your time. But just hang tough with me. It's not noon yet. You're okay. But this is the part. And, and some of you right now, you need to begin to pray in the spirit and intercede. Because God's working on people. He's lovingly working on people saying, I want you. God's saying to some this morning, I want you. I want you in my fold. I want you. I want you as my son. I want you as my daughter. I, God wants that more than anything. But he says, I'm not going to strong arm you. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. You got to want it. And right now, in just this quietness, this is the first one that if you need right now, if there's anything that you know of that has alienated you between your life and the Savior, we're talking about unrepented, unconfessed sin. Listen, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. Can we say amen to that? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You, you didn't escape it. None of us did. Maybe you weren't as bad as some of the people you hung out with in high school and other places, but it doesn't matter. One little white lie is as big as a gigantic lie that everybody finds out about. It's just the same. You've broken the law. But here's the good news. The good news is you can get it under the blood. Maybe you need... To make that decision for the first time. We'd really like for you to do that this morning. Maybe you're here and you've wandered away from God. I'm not going to debate with you. Your, your current status. Except to say this. That if there is unrepented sin. You will never walk in the fullness of what God has for you.
So maybe you're just someone here that's, that's fallen away and you need to get back. Get back. This today was for you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I, I've been wanting God to move in my situation. But, but to be candid with you, I, I know the reason he really hasn't moved is because I've really never just given it all up. And just said, Lord, take everything. Take everything. Take the hidden stuff. There could be three or four groups of people. But the love of God is being shed abroad in this room right now. He loved you so much that he gave his son. That's how much he loved you. He wanted you so badly. He let his son go through that horrific last week in order that you might know him. Isn't that incredible? That's love. That's real love. With every head bowed now, every eye closed. No, I, 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 this is how we do it. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, then you've left me no alternative. But I'll have to deny you. Come on, right now, it'll be the easiest thing you've ever done, and it'll be the greatest thing. If before you go this morning, you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, and I'm willing to say right now, I'm giving it my all. I want you to slip out right where you are and just come join me right here. How about it? No music. People praying. You hear them praying just for you. How about it? How about it? Come on. There's some. You won't. We've already got one. You won't be the first. You can come and join. There's others coming. See, from the sides. You can come too. Just slip on out. Just slip on out. Come on out. Just slip on out. Young people, come on. Anyone else? This is the first one. Amen. I, I, I just want to give a moment. Come on, are we praying? Come on, pray right now. Holy Spirit, just talk to people right now. You're loving people and wooing them and drawing them. You're wooing them and you're drawing them. This is an important time, one of the most amazing times when the Spirit of God is just working on people. Come on now, He's working on people. How about you? I know, I, I know something in me isn't right, and I want to get it right now before I go. Come on, I, I can only take just a couple more moments. Yeah, just come on. We'll take, them, we'll take them just like this. I'll take them one at a time. Sometimes they've rushed, and sometimes they've come one at a time. Just come on. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. God bless you. Isn't that amazing? That's the Spirit of God working on people. He's knocking on doors right now. I'd like for folks just to jump up and run. I know it doesn't always work that way, but God's knocking. How about it? Is He knocking on your door? These are courageous, courageous people. God's going to do some amazing things. Please, if you need an amazing moment, this could be you. I don't want you to escape. You'll be glad. 10,000 years from now, you'll be glad that Pastor Terry, just another minute or two. 10,000 years from now, the moment or two extra that I hold you before I let you go to lunch, you'll be glad. You'll be glad. Those two minutes will mean nothing. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I know you're working, Spirit of God. I know you're working. Come on, Spirit of God. You do your work. I can't do anything. Holy Spirit, this I can declare, but I can't reach into humans' hearts. I can't do that. It's beyond any of us. All we can do is pray and believe. But Lord, you're doing things right now in each of these people. Come on, those two minutes, two minutes is nothing. Come on. I'm just, I'm just tearing just a moment because I just, it's not because I feel like everybody's got to come. I don't feel that way at all. I'm just, I'm just not wanting to exclude the one. Not, not a one, not a one. Thank you, Lord. One last time for just uh, our last spurt congregation. Let's just begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, just work on folk right now. Just Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And Lord, let people be honest before you in this moment. I've often said legacy. We're just, we're, 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 we're just the group that's going to press through. We're going to do it. We're going to press through. And the truth will set folks free. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all pray right now. Here's what we're going to do. Let's, congregation, lift your hands towards the front right now. I want everybody lifting their hands towards the front. And all these folks right here that have gathered, I just want you to know right now, the only thing you have to bring is your sincerity. And, and if you're sincere, God will do a work, an amazing work right now in your life. 
And so I want everybody, the whole congregation, I want your voice to be lifted up. But these who are down front with me right now, I want you to lift your voice up and I want you to say it out loud. Don't you whisper it. Please don't whisper. But just say it. Just say it. And and God's going to do something amazing. But all together, let's do it. Say, dear Jesus, you've talked to me today and I've responded. You're amazing. All that you've done and all that you've provided was for the purpose for me to be a joint heir with you. I desire that. But I understand I must confess my sin and all my waywardness. And I cast my sins upon your cross. Lord, I repent from them and I turn another direction. I ask you to forgive me And I know you're full of forgiveness. And I receive that in the name of Jesus. I ask you now, Lord, in that exchange, that I might receive your righteousness. Let it invade me. Fill me to my very core. May I walk this day with a brand new revelation of who you are inside of me I declare that I am because of you a child of God I declare I've been born a second time you're my dad and I receive you and all that that means I am a partaker of the divine nature I am victorious over everything The enemy sends me. I cannot be stopped. I can live all out for you every day. And you will live big inside of me. I refuse to quit. I refuse to throw in the towel. I won't back up because of you in me. I'm ready for a new season. I'm ready for a new time. I declare out of my own mouth that this is the moment I am forever changed, transformed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I want you just to hang tough with me. I got a second altar call here. Just You just hang tough. I'm going to ask you right now. Right now, you would say, I'm dealing with sickness. I'm dealing with disease. I'm dealing with a bondage. I'm, I'm lacking victory. There's something that's not going on that ought to be going on right now in me. And it's not happening. I'm going to pray before we go that God dispenses, whether it be just by sheer revelation or whether it be by an encounter or an experience, that God... That God opens up the heavens and he begins to implant victory in this congregation. He begins to implant overcoming in you. Come on, I don't know what you're facing, but it's time that you overcame it. It's time that you triumphed over it. Sickness, disease, infirmity, it's time it was gone. I am grateful for the sporadic healings that we've enjoyed. We give glory to God. But it's time that all were healed. It's time that all were delivered. It's time that all experience that, 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 that breakthrough that God can give us. And if that's you right now, you gotta, you gotta step out and say, Lord, you went to hell and back in order that I don't have to. Lord, you, you endured all that hell could throw at you in order that I could be victorious with no matter what hell throws at me. Are you with me? Come on, you gotta stand right now and believe that right now. You're coming, and as you're coming, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm coming right now because I'm tired of being the enemy's punching bag. I'm tired of being the clown with the sand on the bottom that, you know, the two, three-year-olds hit, and that clown, it just, it just, I'm tired of being the punching clown. Praise God, you keep coming back, but it's time now you got the sand out of your feet and you began to step forward and pressed in. Amen. Amen. Come on, now, victory's in the house. We preach, we preach truth not to make you feel bad. We preach truth to set you free. It's the knowledge of the truth that'll set you free. The son, it says, he who uh, receives the son is free indeed. Amen. Come on, put your hands up right now. Everybody put your hands up. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, you, you set this whole scenario up of the passion. 
You set this whole thing up with regards to your son and the plan of redemption and restoration. And Lord, right now I ask that you would unveil our eyes and you would rent the veil that's in our hearts right now that keeps us from believing and seeing who we are and what we can do and what you provided in Jesus Christ. Lord, I declare over this people right now a new awareness that because Jesus was unstoppable even in the bowels of hell itself, that these people are unstoppable in Jesus' name. That they can't be, Lord, hindered from their purposes. They can't be held back from their destinies. They can't somehow, Lord, be tripped or thwarted for that which you have by way of your will or their future. I declare the lies of the enemy are exposed in the name of Jesus. And that, God, you're letting victory arise. Come on now, listen to me. Victory isn't falling from the ceiling. Victory's boiling up right here in the heart. Because that's where victory lives. Thank you, Lord, right now, victory. Come on now, say victory. Come on, victory. Lord, let there be victory in the camp right now. In Jesus' name, let them hear the words that they've been given the keys. Keys to bind and keys to loose. In Jesus' name. That no door that's before you can, can stop you because you've got the keys. You've got the keys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, we're not leaving this earth. When it's time for me to go, I'm not leaving this earth with my tail between my legs, beaten up and bruised and bloody. I intend to leave this world in total, complete victory. It doesn't matter. You say, well, pastor, what if they throw you in jail? Then I'll praise God in the jail. They may take my, they may take my earthly freedom, but they can't take my internal freedom. They can't stop me for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Hallelujah. Come on, you gotta get that in your system. Maybe you didn't get the raise. Maybe you didn't get the promotion. Maybe it didn't work out like you thought it should. Maybe they walked out the door on you. Maybe they did. Maybe something happened that wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't just. I declare you're still victorious in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With Joseph of old, it was a baker and a, and a butler that would talk about him even as he sat in prison. I'm telling you, there are people who are mentioning your name in places you don't even know right now. And your prison's about ready to open up and unlock you. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Lord, I just prophesy over this group right here and this congregation. I prophesy. I prophesy a new season. I prophesy the acceptable year of the Lord. The favorable year of our King. I prophesy the release of the captives. I prophesy the, the recovery of sight to the blind. I prophesy the prison doors will open in the name of Jesus. I prophesy that those strongholds are rooted out even now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God raises you up in order that he might be raised up in you. It's not because you're all that. It's because he's all that. Thank you, Lord. Come on now, everybody, just for a moment. In this stillness, let victory soak into your veins. Let it soak into your spirit right now. The concept of triumphing. Some of you haven't felt like you've won in so long. It has totally warped your mentality I know what it's like to be hurt and to be wounded and to be just dysfunctional and, and to say, Lord, I just, I'm just surviving. I understand those feelings, but you gotta soak in victory right now. Soak in it until your mind starts changing. Soak in it until those, 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 those things that have been plugged in are unplugged and they're plugging into Him. Thank you, Lord. Let overcoming just soak in you right now. Come on, you're still here, you're still breathing. They had, nobody's taken you out yet. You're a lot tougher than you think. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this victory right now, yes, victory that even overcomes the world, this victory right now, Lord, is being established in Jesus' name. For some of you, it has come and it has gone. It's like it blows in. And probably by afternoon or tonight, it's starting to leave. I'm telling you, let it be established in you right now. 
Don't, don't let it leave tonight. You, you have gotten into a habit of coming out of church and being pumped, and then 24 hours later, you're just, you aren't sure anymore. You gotta get that victory established in you right now. Jesus went to hell and back in order that you don't have to. That is amazing. Lord, establish it in your people. Let it bubble out of them till, till they begin to infect their surroundings, their offices. I declare right, some of your offices right now, they're the biggest downer in the world. But, but one person, you, is going to walk in there and just by bubbling up and being an incessant stream, a river of living water, you're, you're, you're going to infect that place with the life of God. Amen. Come on. It's establishing right now. Let it be established in me, oh God. Let it be, let it be forever. Let me be branded in it. Lord, Lord, I don't, I'm grateful for the heart change, but baptize my brain right now, I pray in Jesus' name. With all your goodness and power. Thank you, Lord. Now thank Him right now. Thank Him for healing. Thank Him for deliverance. Come on, thank Him. Thank Him that, that He's changing your situation and your circumstance. Thank you that, 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 that the atmosphere of negativity is evaporating. Just thank him. Just say, thanks, Lord. I, you, the issue isn't you. I realize it was me and that's why I'm here. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that my body's responding in the name of Jesus. Thank you. My mind and my attitudes responding in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My mouth, Lord, is responding in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessed be the name of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Gorabadasanda. Blessed be the name of our God. And Lord, now I release your people. These are your folk, your people. And Lord, they are the invading force of the life of God in the earth. <laughs> so Lord, let your army be loosed. Fearlessly fearlessly loosed right now everyone say i i am fearless in him hallelujah you will overcome you will prevail yes you will yes you will thank you lord that you're doing it you have done it and you'll manifest it as we go forth from this place lord i bless them i thank you for each of their lives and all that potential that is exhibited lord i thank you for that and it's coming forth in these days and so lord as we go and as we love each other and hug each other's necks lord help us to understand we are we are hugging the army of god and lord we are hugging a victorious person in jesus mighty name we all said amen and amen let's give the lord a great big hand one a hand clap of victory hallelujah praise god Amen. We hope we see you in the middle of the week. If you can come on out, we encourage you to do that. And next Sunday's Resurrection Sunday. So you don't want to miss. God bless you. You're released. And we'll see you.